We're coming to the, the conclusion of a series of six that we've done around what does it mean to live this life of consistency and courage? What does it mean to be shaped in a certain way? What does it mean to be fruitful? What does it mean to serve the purpose of God in the whole of our lives? And uh, over the weeks, we've looked at these sorts of areas about the modeling of God, the character. Do you remember when we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, the shape of the person that we're becoming? We looked about what it meant to do our work, our employment, our daily tasks well. And then we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan and looked at, uh, no, we didn't. It was uh, Grace and Love was, um, Grace and Love was the, uh, the lost son, wasn't it? And we looked at that idea of what grace and love looks like in everyday life. We looked about how we change things. And then last week, Dave Newton was with us, and he spoke about evangelism, about being a messenger of the gospel. And today, the final sort of section is, what does it mean to stand for truth and justice? And these things kind of become part of a whole. It's not like today I'm going to stand for truth and justice, or today I'm going to be an evangelist, or today I'm going to do my work really well. But it's actually about the shape of that person that we become. We are invited into the kingdom. We're invited to surrender to the Lord. And he, when he got hold of your life, some of you thought you were going to be able to ask him for help. But what he wanted to do was say, I want to take you and use you for my purpose. And part of life as a Christian is working out, why am I here and what am I to do now? What's the purpose of all of this? And we become these people shaped by the Spirit, shaped in the likeness of Jesus, shaped with his stamp on us. And we live in his world. So you've seen that regularly. The other thing that you've seen quite regularly over this series is this. This big picture, this big, big, big biblical picture of how everything holds together. Of creation, the fall, and how sin comes in. The redemption that comes through Christ, the promised one. And we live in, the, in between times until he re, will restore all things. And that frame, actually, I think is a really helpful frame to keep reminding where we are. For it answers the questions, that, these sorts of questions. What is God's desire for the world? How was it supposed to be? And what's broken? And as people of Jesus, what can we do to change the brokenness? And the brokenness is really defined by that old-fashioned word called sin. When you think of sin, often what we think of are the individual acts that we might do from time to time or regularly, and the things that we kind of feel a little shame about, and we think that's what sin is. But actually in the Bible, certainly by the New Testament, sin becomes almost like a personality in the story. You remember in Romans where Paul's writing, and he says, you know, sin came in and twists everything. I want to do this, but I end up doing that. Sin comes in. Almost takes on a force of its own. It like it takes God's good creation and twists it out of shape. Why do we end up in the situations we end up in our world? Well, 
because sin comes and deforms all that's good. Sin takes power, good power, and twists it. Sin takes the idea of creating things and being rewarded for the money and twists it. He takes sex, God's good gift to humankind, and twists it. Our structures, our philosophies, the ways of doing things become broken. And that's why some days you watch the news and you go, what's happening? How did we end up like this? And the Bible picture would be sin. Now, the danger is, Christians then go, well, I think we ought to take for the, take for the hills. <laughs> Let's create a little nice community away from everything else. Let's just do it ourselves. And those communities normally end up splitting because we can't cope with reality. But Jesus never did that. He didn't say, go and find your own space somewhere and retreat. Jesus comes into the mess and he calls us to live within the mess. If you've got a Bible, will you turn with me chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel? Chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel. And I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse 14. <clears throat> And uh, what we're going to read is Jesus, presumably a very small part of, Jesus' first sermon. In fact, in Luke's Gospels, these are his first public words. Um, up till now, in Luke's Gospel, the only thing that Jesus has said um, up till now is uh, to his mum and dad, didn't you know I would be about my father's business when he got lost at the age of 12 or they left him behind? And he'd spoken to the uh, the devil, but this is a sort of like first public speech. Verse 14 Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, surely you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, Heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you, he continued, prophets are not accepted in their hometowns. I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. 
when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way. Here Jesus is, first sermon, in his hometown, invited to speak in the synagogue. And uh, as was the custom, they give him the big role. He unrolls it and finds this passage from Isaiah 61 and starts reading it. Now what most people recognize is that um, in an oral culture... When you hear something being read like this, then many of the early readers would have, would have automatically have remembered the rest of the passage that it came from. Nowadays, if you're looking in your Bible, it's got the little footnote that tells you where that was from. And it's always worth going back to read where it's from. Because actually, often what it would appear to be is a signal to a bigger picture, not just the individual words, if that makes sense. So you go to Isaiah 61, and the inevitable question you want to ask is, what was going on? What was going on in Isaiah 61? Let's start there. Well, what do we know? We know that Isaiah 61 was written... After the promise of the exile had been, the Old Testament people, they'd been in their own land, they'd ruled themselves, they'd fought their own battles, but they'd become like every other nation. In particular, what had happened to them is they had decided that the economy was number one. It's about how rich can you get? And therefore, shock horror, and it is shock horror, the people of God now were making money out of one another. And within the people of God, the community of God, some people were getting rich and some people were getting poor on the backs of each other. On the backs of each other. It would be kind of like, it would be the appalling scenario. So, so supposing Sunita came to me and said, I'm going to go to Krikiath this week, but I do need to glamp. All right? For I am a woman who deserves glamping rather than sheer camping. But I do not have enough money to glamp, and I don't want to camp. Neil, will you lend me some money? And I might look at Sunita and go, there's a woman who knows how the world works. <laughs> Therefore, I will gladly lend you 500 pounds to glamp. You're welcome. <laughs> I would not want to see a woman like yourself camping. Glamping is fine. However, by the end of September, I need you to repay me 800 pounds. No. 
Now, she's clearly not desperate enough to glamp. That's the truth. It was the best I could come up with on the spur of the moment. But if you heard that I'd done that, you would rightly be appalled. If someone really was in need and needed 500 and I had 500 and I gave you 500 because you're really in need and then charged you astronomical, actually, if I charged you any interest, you would be appalled. That's what was happening on a grand scale in the country. And God said, you can't be my people and live like that. And the very thing I've given you, the land, I'll take away from you and you'll go to exile. And in exile, they lost everything. And in exile, they weren't able to be who they wanted to be. And Isaiah comes and part of Isaiah 1 to 39 of Isaiah is Isaiah going, you're going to end up in exile. Chapter 40 begins. Comfort my people. Tell them the exile is finishing. God's heard you. You don't need to be there forever. I've got a plan. And so chapter 61 comes in that final section where Isaiah's coming and saying, you and your past has been dealt with. The future will look different. And Isaiah 61 begins to unfold about this Messiah that will come. The Messiah who will anoint, be anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. Who will be sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners of war. Who will recover the sight for the blind. Who will set the oppressed free. Who will proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And that language, the year of the Lord's favour, you might not get what the reference is there. But you might, if you remember, that way back in Leviticus, when the law was, how, how are you going to be as a country? One of the remarkable laws was this. There will be a year, every 49 years, every 49 years, and everybody will receive back what's theirs, no matter how rubbish they've been, no matter what calamity has affected them, no matter how much you have profited at the hands of other people, there'll be a 49th year, a Lord's favor, a year of jubilee, and it all go back. That's the year of the Lord's favor, where all your bad mistakes, all your bad investments are paid off. You know the only people who say that's not fair? Who says it's not fair? The rich, the winners, they say it's not fair. We've worked really hard. They're rubbish. And way back in the beginning, it's like, they might be, but they deserve a new start. They might have made really bad business decisions, but they deserve a new start. They might have blown all their money in the first year, and they might have had to wait 49 years but they deserve a new start. Everything goes back and we start again. Now, the extent to which they actually did this is open to sort of conjecture, but this was God's heart. I kind of like that idea. I kind of like the idea that there's a moment where you go, do you know what? You can start again. 
It doesn't have to be the chains of the past. You can start again. And so when Jesus comes, he unrolls, he finds this scripture and he goes, he reads it and then he sits down because I kind of like this as well. People stood while the teacher sat down. I'm thinking we could get a lot more people in this room (laughs) if we did that. If I was the only one sitting and you were the only one standing. He sat down and his words were this, today, that's been fulfilled. Today, today, today. And they're all looking at him going, we know this guy. He's just like the carpenter's son. Who's... Who's he think he is? He's just Joseph's son. Today, today, there's a new start. And everything that you see in this passage, Jesus begins to live out to the excluded, to the poor. Think about some of the stories you know only too well. Think about that little widow who's at the temple and she just gives what she can. I've got good news to the poor. You're not invisible. Think about the people like the man on the hillside who was chained up. No one knew what to do with him and Jesus brings freedom to him. Think about literally the blind people that Jesus healed that they could see and re-enter into um, society think about the number of times where Jesus said you can start again Jesus comes and he says this is what kingdom life looks like what they missed what people missed was that God was setting things right. Jesus didn't come, and I know you know this, but I never tire of telling you and reminding us, Jesus didn't come that you could just go to heaven. Jesus came to set things right. What's what's the world supposed to be? How's it broken? How do you put the broken right? Jesus came not that you could escape but actually that it might be transformed. Jesus came not to be a sort of like, to help you get through this. Jesus came that you might be part of the army that goes, things are not right around here. And in a sense, the things that we're involved with are a continuation of Christ. We are a continuation of Christ. It's God's heart and it is at the heart of the Christian life. Earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah had said this when he said, what does God really want? And people were going, well, he wants us to be sort of like very, very spiritual. And Isaiah said, is this not the fast I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Isn't that what God wants? It's not the obvious thing. 
Because it's easy for religion to become about me and mine and keeping me safe. And Jesus calls us and goes, that's not why I've come. I've come to get involved in the messiness of the reality of the world in which we are in order to put all things right. It's not easy. It's not simple. But it's happening. And people are engaged with it all over. I'm going to ask, ask Hannah, uh, not you, Hannah, the other Hannah, don't worry. I could see that your, your eyebrows went up. <laughs> and, and you're thinking, first, you can't remember my name, and then he invites me in the middle of a sermon to come up. This Hannah. Hannah, thank you. Um, Hannah um, and Dan are part of our church, been part of our church for a couple of years? Yeah, a couple of years. Oh, it's great to have you with us. Hannah, um, until very recently, and, and when you came, you were involved. Do you want to tell people what yeah. you were involved with? Um, so for the past eight years, I've been involved in working for organisations that are fighting human trafficking and modern slavery. Shall I just go? Just go. Yeah, OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first organisation I worked for were called International Justice Mission, and they were a Christian-based charity. Um, they were faith-led, but they were engaging with all the issues. And all the references I was about to use, you've just done, so that's brilliant. We'll just skip to what we actually did. Um, so it was all about taking that Luke 4 verse and making that very practical. What does it look like? Good news for a widow whose land's been stolen. What does good news look like for a kid who's being trafficked for sexual exploitation? How do we actually break these people free? So the charity were involved in that kind of work, and it was, it was amazing, and it was a very supportive organisation, and it was about having a vision for what is possible. And it was proving that change is possible, the world can be better. So I did that for a while, but then I felt very strongly to be called out of that into something more local here in Manchester... Um, so I worked for a different organisation called Stop the Traffic, and that was in with the police and the local authority, probation and immigration. And my role was to try and get a bit of a bird's eye view of what everyone's doing around the issue. Um, but I found that much harder because I didn't have this fantastic organisation supporting me with that vision, with that kind of core value and ethos. I was that vision and ethos on my own in that team, so it got a little bit trickier from that point on. What was the most fulfilling part of your work? Recently, in the, in the last one. Yeah. Well, um, or any of it, actually. Um, in, the, in the most recent one, in the Manchester role, um, the best bit was when you saw people from different organisations coming together. Um, everyone who works knows there's a power structure and a hierarchy wherever you work, but when people came out of their organisation to work with somebody else, you kind of it's a bit of an equaliser and a leveller, and people don't know who's more important or who they need to suck up to. They actually need to create a new team. Um, so I liked creating spaces where people were working together. So people from faith, from statutory, from community groups, and kind of seeing that energy and vision of what they think is possible together in their community was great. That was a really highlight bit for me. Yeah. And what was the most difficult, challenging? The challenging bit is everyone's from different places. <laughs> it's hard to work with people who aren't seeing things the same way as you. And it's impossible to get anything done unless you're partnering with people who don't see things the same as you because everyone's solution is obvious to them. So you have to engage with people who are seeing things very differently. But I found that very challenging when the people you're working with to try and make the world better have completely different worldviews and sometimes are actually part of the problem and are actually quite destructive people with huge egos or 
crazy racist views or whatever it is from different places. I was working across a lot of different sectors and in each organisation there'd be great people and then there'd also be people who were frankly making things worse. So that's really challenging because you're trying to build a team but you're not all starting from the same starting point of believing that change is possible and the world can be better. Some people are already checked out and just turning up to work, already presuming it's always going to be awful. And that's quite draining emotionally when you're like, it's already tough out there. We all need to believe that something better can be happening. If we're all starting from the point of view of, well, what's the point? Well, actually, what is the point? <laughs> um, that was quite tough. What did you learn along the way? There's a lot of ego in the world. <laughs> a lot of people want to be heroes. A lot of people want to be the name that history remember for doing something great. And partly that is church culture. Partly we have a history of these are the great people who've done great things, which isn't always that helpful because then people aspire to be the next great person, whereas actually what we really need is everybody doing their little bit quite humbly and quite in partnership, and that achieves a lot more. Um, so wrestling with our own humanity, it's not like you've got great people trying to make a broken place better. Everybody is broken, and, mm. and that makes it quite messy and complicated. So you're always dealing with humans who have their own issues. I have my own issues, so it all just gets quite messy and complicated. So are we actually making the world better ends up being the question. Um, I think it's, it's, it can be difficult because, you know... It, it can be difficult if you're not able to work in that sort of field to know even what 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 do you do? What yeah. can you do? Can you do anything? Does anything matter? And you must have, you know, you you kind of were in that field, and now you're taking a moment out until mm -hmm. you work out the next part of that journey for yeah. you. But but what can you do if you're not? I think if you're not, so talking about the issue of slavery and trafficking, if you're not actively part of that day-to-day, -day, you can find an organisation that is part of that and support them in some small way. You can still be part of supporting somebody else to be on that front line. You can also take small steps in your own community. There's loads of resources about what's happening in local neighbourhoods. So you can take small things. And the biggest thing around slavery and trafficking is looking at, well, what are we buying? What are we eating? What are we wearing? We, we have to act locally, but we have to think globally because we're buying products that are made by actual slaves that still exist in the world and we have to look at our role as consumers we can't just think about our tiny little patch you have to think about the global impact and we can't all be living in India making sure that the factories are ethical but we can look at our buying choices and we can support organizations that are doing that so I would say those two practical things. And obviously, if you're a Christian, you can pray as well. And there's loads of church resources for that kind of thing to support you to do little steps if it's not your day-to-day. -day. Would you put some of that stuff on Beyond Sunday for us? Yeah. That would yes. be really helpful. Yeah, be Thank you. Thanks ever so much, Hannah. Thank you. <laughs> two questions then to, as I finish. Firstly, is this, is this a topic or is, it, is this at the heart of the gospel? If it's a topic, then we'll applaud people like Hannah. Well, I'm really glad you're involved. But actually, if you see that when Christ came, he came not just to save our souls, but actually to transform all things, then it's not a topic, but it's part of everything. And we follow this Jesus. 
And the second question is, what does it look like in everyday life? And we'll put those resources up and please go and have a look. But it's not just about trafficking. It's about the untruths that you decide you're not going to live amongst. It's about the gossip that you hear where someone says, I don't know if you know about X person. And two things happen. Firstly, you get drawn into it. And secondly, you add to it. And there's something about actually being the people of the truth that go, I'm not going to live in the cozy world of the gossip. And it's so easy. I'm only sharing this for prayer. (laughs) It's so easy for the everyday dismissal of the excluded. It's so easy to dismiss the underdog. It's so easy to dismiss the one who doesn't quite fit. The everyday injustices, the injustice of not seeing people as they are, the injustice of overlooking them. I don't feel any more equipped than any of you do, but these are some of the things that I began to think, well, maybe this is what I need to increasingly do. I need to take notice. To open my eyes to what's around me. Um, One of the things that the Church of England did recently, they put together an app um, that said, would you take notice of uh, the car wash firms that are around your place? Can you take notice of the nail bars? Can you just know who's there? And can you just take notice? And they've got stuff that just says, if you see these elements, there's every chance that people are are working there as bonded labor on places like, and I'm not saying this is, but you know what I mean? It's like, on Langwithy Road, on Eccles Old Road, on take notice, get close, no more. The more you know, the less you can ignore and open your heart. Where we can offer a change, when you're in those conversations, those everyday truth and justice conversations, offer a change. When they say, I don't know if you've heard this about her, but she's, she's been out of order. You know, for the, next, uh, for the next period, I'm still on trains. I can't begin to tell you how much I hear about other people on trains. <laughs> As someone who goes to London every week on a train, I'm very cool about it all, but you get other people who come down from uh, companies in Manchester. It's like, it's like a school day out. Um, with adults and they're all excited and they tell you everything about their office I know I've, I've I haven't yet but I've got really close to saying I don't think you should be talking about it like that <laughs> I think one day and maybe I've got a chance before the end of the year I'll say actually I know her and what they're doing they're bonding they're bonding over the carcass of someone else that's what they're doing they're having a great day out over the carcass of someone else 
It's tempting, isn't it? Offer a change. Be courageous. So speak up, Neil. Tell them you know the person. I might just shock them. Make up another story about them. Be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit that rested on the Messiah. The Spirit that rested on Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And that, this is what I'm going to do. When you're filled with the Spirit, it's not that you might worship better. It's not that in a place like this, you solely will feel a little closer to God. That's not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is that you might go in the power of the Spirit and make a difference where you are. I came across this week, this this week, and this is how I'll finish. It's kind of like a commission. Do not be dismayed by the brokenness in the world. All things break and all things can be mended. Not with time, as they say, but with intention. So go, love intentionally, extravagantly, unconditionally. The broken world waits in darkness for the light that is in you. Go in the name of Jesus. May the Spirit of the Lord rest upon you. May you see things new and may it break your heart. But may you know the power of the Spirit to know how to respond. And so may you live faithfully and fruitfully and courageously for Christ.